Ladies and gentlemen, it's another episode of The Lanyard. On today's show, we get to talk to Kim Bartling, and that starts right now. Thanks for making the trip down here. I love coming to Yankton. Usually so, I have a camper on the back. So this, oh, this you camped down fast. here? Yeah, I restored a two years ago, a 1967 Golden Falcon. She's 13 feet long. What's she, a Golden Falcon? It's just a little vintage camper, and we gutted it out. And um, Yeah, so I'm, you can find me down in the Yankton part of Lewis and Clark. Yeah, we like Maybe to we, can. we like to camp at Chief White Crane. I like White Crane uh, too. Of Lewis, the Lake Yankton's just wonderful for our little kids. Yeah, yeah. So I, I I love Yankton. So tell me, you had a meeting on your way down here. What kind of work is filling up your days? So uh, the meeting that was today was um, the new project that has been uh, I've been working on calling Plains Speaking People, uh, which is a uh, Lovely. I'm just going to say that I pirated from basically NPR's The Moth. Okay, yeah, um, right. The, the Moth, Moth Radio Hour, yeah, which yeah. is also a podcast. I love it, and uh, it's one of my favorites. And they came through Sioux Falls uh, a year ago, March, and friend and I went down thinking we were. I had submitted a story. I knew other people that had. Think we were going to hear see friends of ours, and um, ended up no. It was actually The Moth. They flew in their next six national speakers and um, normal everyday people to tell their story, and it was just. Glorious night on yeah, the and stage. it's like super raw, generally, it's right? Just normal people telling their best story in you know thirteen minutes. And so, um, as I was walking out, I ran into Mike Henriksen, um, Melissa Johnson from All My Cupcakes, and a lot of people. And they had all submitted. And I'm like, well, maybe we should just start our own. So I went down the next day and booked the Orpheum and created Plain Speaking People, and we had our debut on June first of last year. And uh, since then, we've done one in Flandreau, and then I did one uh, this summer out in Leed. We did Tales Out of the uh, Homestake Mine. And so there are a couple things that might be adjunct to it. Like, for instance, there used to be Ignite in South Dakota, and um, what's the other... Is it like five, six minutes where you can tell your story, but you have slides? Oh, the it starts with a P. Yeah, so right. Pachuk, I can't. Pachuk, pachuk, pachuk. Yeah, but this does not have pachuk, slides. Yeah. No, no. And, and that also is like you get it, you make up the story. Like they put a slide up and you just have to make up a story based uh-huh. on that slide. This is, um, these are true stories of which you are in the story. You have to be, you know, the protagonist or the antagonist. I don't yeah. care. But you, you can't. Um, I mean, we've had with the ones that we've uh, done so far, people will submit. And it's the same submission. You can um, go to our website and, and put your story in two minutes, or you can write it up in 250 words. But it has to be the, the arc of the story. It can't be, well, you know, this is the beginning, and get yeah. a hold of me, and then I'll tell you more. No, you have to um, tell it, and, and you have to be in it. So, like, we've had a couple of people say, you know, I want to tell the story about when my parents met. I mean, unless your parents, you know, there's things going on there that are different, but you weren't there. So that's right. Um, you have to be a, an actor in this story. And so you've held how many of these so far? We've had three. So. Okay. And the mission goes on. Yeah. And it's not a business. Uh, yeah, it, it, it is. I am starting to make it a little bit of a business for myself. I, I left uh, my full-time tenured position at the University of Sioux Falls after working there for 14 years and 32 years in education. Um, I just, I called it my Forrest Gump moment. Um, it's that scene in Forrest Gump, you know, like when he runs from one coast to the other and people kind of like just are mindlessly following him thinking he has some type of major information to, and then you just stop and 
I think his line was, and I think I said, I'm tired and I need to go to bed now. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that's how I, uh, it was just a time in my life. I'm, I was a little drained um, professionally after 32 years. I was a, kind of a dog and pony show at USF. I was, I had the program, directed all four shows, taught all the classes, all of those things. And so, I mean, it was. You were in the theater department. Yeah. And when you're theater, you work seven days a week. Uh-huh. You know? And um, so I had gone. Evenings. Oh, years, years and years without sleeping, without seeing my family, without, you know without thinking about what the next project or whatever. And so, and my father died slowly of cancer and at the, at a young age and went, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't want that. So I just stopped and everybody thinks you're crazy because I had no plan other than I can't work like this. Yes. Yeah. So there's so a sabbatical to wasn't going to fix it. No, no sabbatical wasn't going to fix it. Um, that just would make me, I have a tendency to, the more I know, the more I want to do. So, um, it, it, I had to be something else. And so there were, I didn't know what I was going to do. I had been doing a lot of uh, speaking, public speaking, motivational speaking, and so on. People I called the university and asked. And so I was doing that on the side. And I had these delusions of thinking that would be, you know, corporate and executive coaching and speaking and so on about how to love your job. Because that's the thing. I loved my job. I mean, to a fault. I loved my job. And uh, so you wanted to teach other people how to love, how their, to love job? their job. I still want to do that. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, so I, um, and then I also about three years prior to that had fallen in love with the, the people of Belize, Central America and had started working at some schools down there. So there was just these things I wanted to do. So my life is not at all what I thought it would look like. Um, whose is really though. And, uh, seven years after leaving the university. So I spent a lot of time in Belize working on projects down there and now starting plain speaking people. Cause I really want to collect stories Combines everything I love, storytelling, um, and South Dakota. So, and I think everybody that does a plain speaking stories has to have some South Dakota connection. Yeah, it it might just be you're from South Dakota. You Uh know, I mean, that could be it. But um, you know, I call it the theory of decodativity. You know, we have one degree of whether you're related to them or you have something you know connected to them, and so they're just amazing stories. Like the ones out of the mines were just blew me away. So, how are you turning this into a business? So, well, corporate sponsorship. Um, well, we're trying to do it. Also, I like the I'm all about fundraising. I'm about having um, a social project that's involved in it. So I want to be raising the money for, for something that's happening. So the next one we have coming up is in September in um, Garrison, South Dakota, and we're raising money for a daycare. Um, and so we come in and go, okay, how can we do this? What's the ticket price? And so that everybody, you know, comes away with a little bit of something. Yeah. Yeah. And it seems like if you're modeling this somewhat after the moth, the moth has a podcast and has broadcast. And um, is this more than just a live event? Well, and as of yesterday, yes. Um, yesterday I had a meeting with uh, my dear friend, Jeff Benekamp at Augustana College or, or Augustana University. Sorry. Yeah. And Augustana University. I went to Augustana College, not yeah. the university. So anyway, um, <laughs> we were talking yesterday about, trying to get uh, great Augie stories out there. And um, so, which we would start with doing a podcast um, of, of various people that have yeah. a great Augie story. And then from there, maybe eventually become a live event. So I think we're going to move into the podcast world. Excellent. Yes. Well, so then the content can live on. Yeah. Well, anyway. More than one day. Well, and we do tape them. So with the plain speaking people that we've done so far, they have been videotaped. There's um, the format is is I have music. Somebody's going to so um, Sioux Falls. We had Will Prime, who's a great storyteller with music. Hank Harris um, was my story, yeah. my music storyteller out in Rapid. 
Um, so we start with music and go in to tell three or four stories, take a little intermission, more music, more stories. Um, and, but it's all videotaped. So you can go back and, you know, I'm a grandma now. I like the idea of, you know, something living on, um, for my granddaughter to, to go back and. Well, so if you are supposed to tell, if somebody participating is supposed to tell their best story, Mm -hmm. what's your best story? (sighs) Oh, See, I, you say that, and then you think I'd – well, anybody that would know me would go, she's just – there's no way there's one, because I'm a storyteller. Um, whether in the classroom or you and I just talking, I'm going to have a story. Um, I mean, I've been really lucky for a girl that grew up in, you know, on a farm in South Dakota. I've lived in New York City, so I have really great stories of, of people who have become dear friends that are pretty darn famous, um, you know. Mel Brooks is a good friend of mine. and How so, did that come So to there's be? that story. Um so I was in New York working in the theater, and one of my students was going to school at Columbia. Former students was doing uh, graduate school in Columbia, and he and I had gone to a play together um, one night and afterwards went to a restaurant that was owned by Nathan Lane and Matthew Broderick that a lot of New Yorkers go to. It's very small. It's called Angus Mackinac, but I think it's closed down now. But So we went for uh, to have a little dessert and coffee after the show, you know. And we walked in and we're sitting there and Mel Brooks walks in with a, a group. And so um, I, as he walked by, I said, Mr. Brooks, this is my student, Ashter, and he's a playwright. And I want him to know that you should be brave and meet people like you that are so inspiring. And he pulled up a chair and sat with us. Wow. Yeah. But Bold the, move. Yeah, but the next day, um, I had friends coming in um, from Sioux Falls. And so they were going to meet me in Midtown. And I said, you know, let's just meet him. And I guess it's a good place. Nobody's going to be there in the afternoon. We can have a little bite to eat before we go off. We were actually going to go see Tom Brokaw um, up at Union Square. He was doing a book reading. We thought we would show up as South Dakotans and really make his world. He didn't really seem to care we were there. But um, <laughs> but we met at Angus and we walked in and I was being trying to be funny. And I'm like, well, last night when I was here, I sat here and Mel Brooks, my friend, sat here. And yeah, I'm just being funny. name dropping. Right. Just being funny with yeah, my right. friends. And and uh, the waitress said, do you know Mr. Brooks? I said, oh, yeah, we're longtime friends. I was just being funny. She was always oh, in the back. So I'm like, you got to be kidding me. So they sat down and I walked in the back and they heard him go, Kim Barling, what are you doing here today? <laughs> he came and joined us. And so he sat with my friends from Sioux Falls and we had a great time. And he's been, yeah, a friend. So uh, that's awesome. So that's a pretty good story. You could you could turn that into a plain speaking yeah, story. Yeah, it could be. Yeah, but there's there's you know, I've also uh, I've had talking about um, my, when my dad got sick. Um, he was a tough guy, and he never said it out loud, but he wanted to be my mom's boyfriend to the day he died. And so, in addition to my raising my children and working um, ridiculous hours at the university, um, he decided I would be his caretaker. And so, I have a couple stories with that about not missing a chemo appointment or um uh, yeah my dad was a kind of a closeted democrat and so he had this huge crush on rachel maddow and uh <laughs> two days before he died about three o'clock in the morning and i know rachel maddow also and that was just another story but um so we were he's three o'clock in the morning i'm sitting in the i wouldn't let him sleep at the hotel or hotel the hospital by himself and he says toots toots wakes me up i'm sitting in the chair i go what and he goes and he's watching three in the morning, right? He's dying of cancer. He's watching Rachel Maddow. He goes, are you sure? I'm like, what? He goes, are you sure? I said, yeah, dad, even if you pull through, she doesn't bat for your team. Yeah. I know you love her. <laughs> I know you think if you pull through, you have a shot. But she's, uh, you know, she's um, she's not on your team, dude. So he just, you know, those are great moments with my dad. Yes. So, yeah. 
So tell me about when you're hanging out in New York and you're hanging out with Mel Brooks and you're eating at Matthew Broderick's restaurant, why does South Dakota continue to be your place? Why do you keep coming home to this place? That's a great question. And I do get that a lot, especially even in living in Belize. It's like when you can move to Belize, you know, full time. Um, I have said this five times just this week. I love living in South Dakota. Um, I, our, our people are second to none. You can be anybody you want to be here um, as long as you're true to yourself. Uh, I was in the meeting I had before just talking about um, my favorite quote when it comes to inspiration is um, Sir Isaac Newton, who says, I see far because I stand on the shoulders of giants. And even though I've been really lucky with who I've studied, I've studied with the best theater theorists in the world. I really have. Um, you would never know their names. But the people's shoulders of which I stand are people like Sharon and Grant Kringen from Garrett's in South Dakota, who are milk farmers. And they taught me the importance of work ethic, along with my own blue-collar parents. Yeah. And Sharon was my 4-H leader, and she taught me how to speak, you know, and how to be creative. And um, Grant was a rodeo clown at one time, and he taught me how to listen to stories. And so those are the giants of which I stand, and I, I could, you know, I could sit here until you know for three days and just tell stories of people in my life who have just, you know, told me I can be whatever I want to be in this anywhere in the world, not just South Dakota. Yeah. But if they, if you've already learned that, if they already taught you those lessons, can't you take them with you wherever you are? Is there something that you feel like you need to give back or that the, you're still learning from those people from. Yeah. People? Well, first of all, I'm a teacher and you're only as good of a teacher as you are a lifelong student. Right. So I'm constantly trying to learn something. Um, but I think, yeah, with a lot of name dropping here. Holy cow. But Terrence McNally, <laughs> Terrence McNally is a very famous playwright. He's won Tony Awards. He's won a Pulitzer. And he, I was studying with him one time in, in Valdez, Alaska. That, that, just get that wrapped around your head. I was with Edward Albee and all these amazing playwrights and actors from Laura Linney to Chris Noth, Courtney Vance. We were all in Valdez, Alaska for a summer together. And I was eating lunch with Terrence about talking about directing and wanting to take all this knowledge I have and go someplace else. And he said at that time, and Kim, do art where you are. That if if Chicago, if New York, if L.A. is what you think is going to fill you up, you're going to be disillusioned, disappointed. But you can make a difference where you are. Yeah. And I I want to I want I'm directing Mama Mia for the Community Playhouse in Sioux Falls. You know, uh, I love that. I love way to read through last night. I loved looking at 42 people who don't know each other. The woman who walked in and stole the lead. I mean legitimately won that lead hasn't been on station since she was eighth grade and the unbridled enthusiasm of being able to, you know, fulfill a lifelong dream and be on stage. Yeah. Why do you want to be a part of that? Right. So, um, yeah, so that I do the art where you are is, is kind of my mantra, even with my students make a difference. Your social media recently has been full of Broadway and beyond. Tell me, <laughs> yeah. tell me what that is. That's another community one. Um, it's one, the, you know, City of Sioux Falls again. I, I have to give them props, man. They they are so progressive in the way they promote art. You know, from our sculpture walk to what's going on River Walk and all of those type of things. But they've employed me for many, many years now um, to create original works or to create community works like Broadway and Beyond. So what Broadway and Beyond is, is it's opened up to anyone. I, so I have ages, I had two that were seven. And then we go up into the last year, I had a guy that was 80. And they tell me what, you know, what's that 
one song or number you want or what's your favorite musical? And they submit those ideas. And then from then, I mean, I have to sometimes go, well, that's really great, but I, let's do, I'm going to wash that man right out of you know my hair from South Pacific as a group instead. And so I basically create um, a musical review um, from beginning to end full of families and whoever wants. I mean, I, I really see that as some, it's going to be a point that we have so many people that my cast is going to have to sit in the audience and when it's their time, they just kind of, <laughs> yeah. I would love that. And uh, so again, cause we, there's an ownership, you know, when you own the art, you own the culture, you own the city, there's a pride that comes with that. So yeah, so that I do that every summer um, in McKinnon park, which I also love, which is historic. And, um, but I've also written a lot of shows about women of South Dakota, you know, our pioneer to who's changed the landscape to, um, yeah, uh, we did a whole thing on the history of Terrace Park, which is fascinating because that used to be an army base and through there. And at one point there was a zoo there and that's where Josiah Phillips and his family started the Sioux Falls. And so there's just all these, again, great stories to are you, collect. Are you getting help on these projects or like, for instance, Broadway and beyond? Uh, are you taking that all on your shoulders? Yeah. I mean, I do. And, and, but I welcome that. I mean, I, the city does pay, you know, pay us a, a stipend to, to do so. And, um, I make sure that everybody gets a little something, even my little yeah. seven-year-old walks away with something, you know, I, I really believe artists should be paid or recognized of some sort. Um, community theater is a little different, you know, they're all coming in knowing there's not a paycheck at the end of the day. But, um, I, I, you know, I've, I've said to the community theater, if you're not going to pay me a certain amount, the who is artists have to pay artists and recognize yes. that. Otherwise we can't get anybody else to see that we put a value on it's it. It's a skill set. Yeah. yeah. But so now, you know, with that project, you were working probably a lot of nights and weekends, kind of like when you were at USF. Right. What's different about it? Um, well, I'm not teaching 12 credits <laughs> <laughs> on top of it. Yeah. Right. I'm not showing up at, you know, and teaching from 10 to, to two. And then I'm not, you know, the thing about being a theater professor is, it's like a combination of athletics and academics and that I have to also go recruit. Right. Yes. And then I have to produce and my um, budgeting and faculty meetings and, you know, all of those things. And so um, that's the part, you know, that I, I get a, I get to choose what projects I want to do. Yes. Right? So they become not that I, I loved it. I really loved my job. I did not leave because I did love my job. I just had to love me just a little bit more. You needed a little space. I did, you know, and my kids were at that point gone, you know, and now I have a granddaughter and I want to be able to drop everything and go camping with her and teach her all the things that make her parents roll her eyes. And Well, you have, <laughs> you have said that you, you love that job and you love to teach other people how to love their job. How do. do you do that? That's on, it's on you, you know, um, I, you have to put, you have to give to get, um, and so I think, you know, one little thing, just like yesterday, uh, we got home from, um, the read through and here's people I don't know, but I just send a little Facebook message going, man, you know, I don't know you, but I just watched you smile for two and a half hours. I am so glad you showed up for this audition. I can't wait to know what your story is. Yeah. Um, and it's amazing. I'll, we just all want to be seen. I want to be seen. You want to be seen. We want to, everybody wants to think they do have a story or they're somewhat interesting. And so, and I am fascinated by that. Um, I think the best stories are just, in fact, that was a question that was asked to me at this last meeting, what makes a great story? And I'm like, one you can see yourself in. You know, it's, it's like, oh, I, I know that person. 
Yeah, story has the power to transform if people can find a place for them in the story. Right, there's an empathy somewhere, right? Mm -hmm. You connect with some somebody or something. So, yeah. Um, What's happening in our lower level schools, in, in high schools and elementary and middle? Are they getting the funding for creative creativity that they need? Um, or are we kind of heading in a bad direction? I don't know if we're heading in a bad direction. I just don't know if we've ever, we're not progressing as the way that yeah. we should. I mean, we're always going to be, you know, I can just talk about our state. We're always going to be a state where sports rule. And here's the deal. Um, I've always thought of myself as an athlete, you know, I was, yeah. I was a, I was a, I went to the state basketball tournament. I was a starting center in the state basketball tournament, and I was a pretty good runner in high school. For which team? I was a Garrettson Blue Dragon. I can't believe you haven't heard of me. <laughs> um, Sorry. Yeah, and not just a dragon. We were the Blue Dragons. Certainly you know about my cross-country career I've on heard, Webster, I, right? I, 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 yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, I keep track as to who's close to that. Um, but I grew up in a, an athletic family, um, and uh, we didn't really have much arts when I was growing up. In fact, I got one role, lead role, when I was in high school. I turned it down because it just got in the way of me training for track in the spring. Um, but my first job was in Arlington, South Dakota, and I had an English uh, degree, and they had asked me if I'd ever seen a play. And I wanted to be the cross-country coach or the track coach or the basketball coach. And then I was like, well, yeah, I've seen a play. Great. So uh, I was <laughs> my first years, which were fabulous. I loved it. Was uh, It was – Sophomore through senior English, advanced speech, um, the all-school play, the one-act play, all-school musical, one-act play, oral and terp team. I had to do the all-night prom, and I had all the cheerleaders. Mm. That was my first. You do that, you can do anything. <laughs> Each one of them come, came with a stipend too, right? Oh, yeah. I think My first contract, I think, this was, you know, what, 1986, I think. I remember it was $17,800. And that was all inclusive Boom. of all those projects. I suppose I got an extra, you know, hundred fifty bucks for something. But the cheerleaders alone were more drama than anybody needed. But yeah, so you know, I think we have, you know, we have to evolve somewhat as far as financing. But I still um, get calls this week. I've had already one call um, Sunday night from a, a teacher in a rural town saying, "Would you come up for a day and help my get my oral and teeth." an oral and terp team put together. It's like, absolutely. You know, um, that's where we have to stop and really, again, lift each other up and, and help them, you know, find the resources to find good literature to perform. And cause yeah, kids are, that's, if they can find their voice, they can be, be whatever they want to be. Yes. Right. And do it in a place that allows them the space to do it. So yeah. that again is South Dakota. Now Sioux Falls, where you call home today. Yeah. How how is that town doing in terms of you know its culture, its arts, its music? Um, tell me about your feelings of Sioux Falls. Well, I am a huge Sioux Falls cheerleader, um, but again, I'm a South Dakota cheerleader. I you know spent time out in Lead this year and was actually really embarrassed that I didn't know more as a South Dakotan about the importance of Lead, Lead South Dakota. I, I'm going to put this out there. Somebody needs to push our legislature so that our kids understand the history of the mine and what it did for this state and what the science is, uh, of the Sanford lab is going down now. And it, it's, that needs to be out there. Um, I felt really silly and stupid that I didn't know more about it. So, um, but yeah, so I'm a cheerleader for whatever community I'm in. Like I said, I could sit here all day long and talk about the beauty of Yankton, but Sioux Falls, my town, uh, the love it this year opened up. Um, yeah, tell people what that oh is. Oh my gosh! Well, the Levitt um, is a it's a music venue for small musical acts, regional acts to national. 
Um, I can't exactly tell you how many there were, but a lot. I mean, when I first saw it, I'm like, there's no way. I mean, yeah, and it wasn't just on weekends, it no. was many days a right, week. Right, right. But you know, they were really smart. They got Nancy Halverson that mm-hmm. came back, who's got such a great reputation. Um, her husband, Bruce, was once a, um, the president of Augustana, and she's just a dynamo. And so she came in, she was the perfect person, along with Rose, um, Roseanne Kelly, uh, to put that all together. And I mean, it was, I went down for Spoon Cat. I couldn't even get in. I, I wasn't in town when Boulay was there, but from what I understand, there was like 8,000 people. And then the last night with um, Corey and the Fireflies, it sounded like there was over 10 grand. I don't even. Yeah. Like 10, and the space that was kind of built for like 5,000. Right. They were know? like, they're everywhere. They're hanging, you know, so it's like, it's like Wrigleyville, you know, so it's on a game free day. for people to attend. And it's free. Yeah. And the, and it's put on by the Levitt foundation. Yeah, It's a foundation. And from what I understand, and I'm talking, I, I don't, yeah. I, but I've understood that it's the, the venue has just like blown the Levitt records yes. out of the water for the size and the amount of people showing up. And so, so it's, that's just one thing, you know, then we have the sculpture walk, which um, I was downtown yesterday working out of the Orpheum. So people are walking by, you know, and just groups of people all day long, stopping to look at those sculptures. And now we have the East bank that's going on um, st- extending up eighth uh, street and six. And um, so, yeah, that's, it just, there's a free festival every weekend. You know, I mean, I don't care if you're Irish or you like jazz. I mean, right, there's something going on in that city that's free for you to attend. Yeah. Um, you talk about the Irish, but is there diversity in Sioux Falls? Oh, yeah. The multicultural one is another one of my favorite ones to go to. I think there is diversity. I, do I think we can do a better job? Every community can do a better job, yeah. right? But um yeah, I mean, I look at, we did Mamma Mia, and I was just excited that I had, you know, some various cultures showed up for the audition. I'm like, look at us, you know? Yes. Uh, so I think that we we do maybe have to make, do a better job of getting into those communities to make sure that they are welcomed into auditions and venues and so on. But also we have, you know, there's, um, I my daughter is Belizean, and, and so she watches a lot of like the Latin things and Hispanic things that are going on in town. And, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of that. We buy all of our groceries at Nikki's downtown, you know, so, and there's all these posters. And so you can show up for those things too. So it's not just them inviting us or us inviting them to come to, you know, us and them. I don't even like those terms, but saying, Hey, you know, we want you to show up and add a little culture to all this or a little, um, ethnic culture that is, but we have to also show up for what they're putting on. There you go. Yeah. So Well, when we come back after the break, I'd like to talk to you a little bit more about some of the projects, but I'd like to talk about Belize. Yeah, let's do it. We'll be back with Kim Bartley. The presenting sponsor of The Landard is Ben's Brewing Company. We are a brewery, taproom, and speakeasy located in Yankton, South Dakota. Our beers are on tap in several South Dakota cities. Visit us online at bensbrewing.com. Good people drink Ben's beer. Hey, Lanyard listeners, it's Brennan and Mandy from Boston Shoes to Boots. Do me a favor and think of something you will not buy generic. For instance, I will not buy generic toilet paper. First of all, ouch. Second of all, they don't tear at the seams. Brennan, what's your example? I will not buy generic mac and cheese. It's not as creamy. They say it is the same, but it's not. 
Same goes for shoes. Now we all know how easy it is to buy shoes or boots from big box stores, big online sellers, or a boutique. But are you really getting the quality and customer service that your feet deserve? A proper fit and quality made shoe can go for miles for your feet and your overall health. Wearing shoes too small or large can have long-term consequences. And those shoes that are cute but make your feet hurt all night? Not worth it especially when you're covering up the blisters the next day. Our staff at Boston Shoes to Boots is trained to measure your foot length, arch, and width. Do yourself a favor and invest in your feet by getting properly fitted into a quality pair of shoes. We don't carry cheap because we care. That's right. Quality only hurts once. And trust me, we've seen plenty of scary toes that have been crammed in bad footwear for too long. Many times the effects are not reversible. So invest in your feet, take care of yourself, and go on your next adventure with a great pair of shoes from Boston Shoes to Boots, your footwear experts since 1915. Stop by and see us in the Meridian District in downtown Yankton or see us online at bostonshoestoboots.com. All right, we are back with Kim Bartling. Before the break, we talked about a lot of the projects you were involved in, but one of the projects that I first came to know you from was called Meso. Yeah. Tell people what that was. Um, Meso is a co-working space that uh, I owned along with Cody Bose, downtown Sioux Falls. Um, I used to say it was located in the most um, sought-after block in all of South Dakota, yeah. right? It's Phillips between 10th and 11th. And um, so we had a co-working space there. Um, I, I said, I don't know if we were ahead or behind our time, but um, it just also, I was out of country a lot. And so we, Cody and I bought it with the end what we thought was going to happen was to do service projects out of that. And that did happen. Um, there was always something um, as far as awareness and, and happening, but um, it was just, the real estate was just too high. So Plain a simple. co-working space is... For those freelancers or those people who don't want to work in a traditional Post office, office. Yeah. and so they could come rent a space and have flexible. And then there's shared areas, so we have yeah. shared um, boardrooms and and yeah, op- open spaces for various types of rooms and so on. Yeah. And co-working kind of uh, after that went on to be at the bakery and some other things. Is there co-working in Sioux Falls right now? Yeah, I'm really excited. There's a new one opening called the Kitchen. Um, that's, uh, Jen Kolb is working on right now. And so she'll be, she'd be worth having come down and talk. She's, she's just infectious to be around, but she's, it's called the kitchen and it's going to be, um, open for women entrepreneurs and business, you know, trying to start their own businesses or write a book or just need to get out of the house and be creative of some sort. And they're going to provide daycare. Oh, really? Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Well, that's a that's a need in every community. And uh, so you're saying the daycare is going to be close to where they work, too. It's like going to be in the space, like awesome. down, yeah, downstairs of it. So, yeah. 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 Well, so when I was popping into Messel from time to time, I think at the time Lemon Lee was, was there, John mm-hmm. Meyer, and yep. um, I would pop in to see him or work for a little bit. But you were often out of the country. Yeah. And... Um, <laughs> Where were you? I was in Belize. And tell me how you got to Belize. Well, um, the beginning of the story is what I talked about, my dad being ill. And also um, I was living back and forth. I mean, if I had airfare and time from work, I was in New York City. And um, I was really lucky. I worked Because you loved it? Well, I'm a theater prof. So, you know, I had this at one point, you know, I could say I've seen every Broadway play since about 1995, which, you know, who cares? But um, I also worked with the Women's Project, uh, which was really great and got to do some assistant directing there. So, 
yeah, some of my, well, two of my actors went on to be kind of big deals in Orange is the New Black and, you know, some of the things too. So I was really lucky with what I worked. But um, anyway, dad was sick and I was having dinner with a friend of mine and lamenting about being pulled so many ways. And she's like, you know, I got this bar in Belize. Maybe I'll sell it to you for what I bought it for. Maybe you need to move to Belize. <laughs> like, oh my gosh. Had you had experience running a bar before? No, no. Had you had experience living in Belize before? I had never been in Mexico. <laughs> I was like, no, if I had airfare and time, I was in New York City. So no, I had never been south of the States. And But I had, a, it was in January and it was, honest to goodness, I think I had worked 14 and a half hours and it was a long 14 and a half hours that particular day. And it was, I remember it was 35 degrees below windshield when I got home and I opened up my computer and went, where is Belize and how do I get there? <laughs> I also remember that the airfare was $520 round trip out of Sioux Falls, which has never happened Whoa. since. So I booked it. And um, went down. Um, I thought my sister had walked out of corporate America kind of like five years prior to I have. This might be a family. I don't know. But anyway, uh, I thought, well, she could go run a bar. <laughs> and so I went down to look at it. But nobody should. I don't I don't need to give business advice in Belize, but I don't know if anybody should buy a bar in Belize. I mean, you don't really own the building. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? So like if Jose owns your building and you upset him on a Thursday, you're just stuck with a lot of rum and a couple bar stools. So. Did that happen? I, no, no, I no. I mean, I'm, I no, that wasn't going to happen. But what did happen is I had never experienced that type of blue water and white beach before, and so um, and the kids in Belize, um, would I'll go home for lunch, so they would I'd be sitting on the beach, you know, maybe with a little rum drink or something, and uh, kids would walk by and they would try to sell me jewelry, of which I'd buy. And then after school, they'd come by and sell again. And then I started doing theater games with them. And after about three days, I had all these kids that would show up and we were doing theater games and playing stuff. And um, finally, this guy down the <laughs> cabana down the beach comes over one night and, or day says, gosh, you love kids. And I said, yeah, he goes, you're a kid magnet. And I said, yeah, I really love them. And I said, but I love athletics. I said, could I, where can I go to watch him like play soccer or whatever? And he's like, yeah, no, these, these kids, they don't have soccer balls. They don't have baseballs. They don't have, and, um, they had nothing. Well, he, he and I was like, that can't be You're Central America. If you, we didn't have Central America, we wouldn't have baseball in yeah. the States. And he's like, oh, you're, you're confusing us, <laughs> you know, with other countries. So, um, he said, do yourself a favor. And when they come by, ask if they you can go home with them. So I did. I'm like, let's go to your house. And, um, I was devastated by where I had been for five, six days or whatever I'd been there and the 10 minute walk to their house. You were on a beach living a luxurious yeah. life, having a, a rum drink yeah. and they were, they were living on garbage dump mm-hmm. in a, in a room, you know, 12 by 12. I'm not kidding. You know, it's just, it's smaller than a dorm room and they have hammocks hanging because the kids are sleeping in the hammock. So mom can sleep on a mattress on the floor. And, but they're the happiest kids in the world, you know, and, um, after now working and, and living with my dear Belizean friends and family down there, um, you know, I, I always say that they don't know they're poor, but they know you're rich. Uh-huh. Right. And, um, poverty does not necessarily make you have to be saved. I had a minister one time tell me there's only one savior and surprise, it's not you. You know, so like best yes. thing I've ever seen. And it's true, right? Um, so I um I've been down there, um, like I said, for about ten years and um I had a little gal on my second trip. I had taken some USF kids down. So I, I came back, actually that first trip I came back and back then I was teaching a class called How to Care for a Patient and Not Cure One to Nurses. 
and uh, basically teaching bedside manner. And uh, I said, I'm going back spring break. I'm going back. And I walked out of there. My campus minister at USF was like, tell us about your Belize trip. But I'm like, no, I'll just be a good Lutheran and stand in the back and sing poorly. Thank you. <laughs> and uh, so during chapel, he's like, hey, Kim, you know, went on this trip on break. And so tell us about it. And I heard myself say, I'm going back for spring break again. And the next thing I know, I had 20 kids and we're heading down for spring break. And we built um, one particular school had no had never had a playground. So we built landmass because this I'm on an I live on an island off the coast. Um, it's about an hour and a half by boat. And, uh, so we built landmass and put up their first swing set and playground, um, which has con- since then developed into this really great place for kids. A park. It's become a park. Yeah. In the back of the school. And, um, so that school has become important to me and I, I do everything from, um, you know, fence with Mr. Freddie to teach critical thinking, to prepare kids for, um, taking, their version of ACT in eighth grade, um, a pipe, only 50% of the kids go to high school there. It's um, one thing people don't understand about all third world countries from what I'm gathering is there's no free education. Kids have to pay to go to school. Well, if you have no money, you know, so either you get sponsored by someone or you don't go to school. So there's my first three or four years, I spent a lot of time being just the island's truant officer. Who are you? Why aren't you in school? You know, and and then I'd put him in front of my social media going, this is Moises. He's seven. He wants to go to school. I got 32 years of students. Somebody cough it up, you know, and that's what I did. And how and much still do. how much in American dollars would it cost for a kid to go to school? Um, About 300 yeah. a year. Yeah. yeah. It's not, you know, and that and that's and then plus they have to wear uniforms and all of those things. So and I'm not a nonprofit for that. So when people say I want to sponsor Moises or Leonardo or Nayeli or whoever it is. Um, and I think I've probably got over the years, 25 to 30 kids through school. Um, it's, you give me the money. I have nowhere else to put it. I got to pay for their tuition. Yes. You know, I've picked them up. So where, so, yeah. where do these kids end up after school? Well, um, a lot of them in the tourism industry. Um, there's no, they do have colleges. Most of them couldn't possibly afford that, but they do have a junior college. Um, they can get a, an associate's degree in, in hospitality, um, even like their teachers. And this is where I'm doing my focus is now down there is I'm teaching the teachers because the teachers a lot of times have just associate degree in like tourism and they're teaching, you know, chemistry. Yes. <laughs> so nobody's ever taught them any pedagogy at all of, or classroom management. So I'm going into the schools and now teaching that, which has been really, really awesome. Really, You're rewarding. You're still going down there. Oh, yeah. I was there for total of probably three and a half months this past year Yeah, on various trips. And so when I come in, so I have two schools and then um, two year, a year and a half ago or so we started, one of the schools has no library at all, no books, no anything. So we started um, a fundraiser to build a room, which ultimately went on to, went on top of the classrooms. And then last May um, I gathered up books from all my friends and we sent out about 3,500 pounds of books. Um, they left May 16th, they showed up on the island on September 28th. Oh, customs was a bear. And um, so my sister who um, met me, she met me down there and said, I'll help you put this together. So we created their first literacy um, program and library at the school. Now I'm working on, we've outgrown it already even in a year. So um, we need another build, uh, just a room. So I'm working on raising money to do that next build. Does everybody there have a cell phone? Are you able to keep in touch with them? Yeah. Yeah. I don't care how poor you are. You have a cell phone. Yeah. Well, and in and, and a lot of developing countries, that makes more sense, right? Because you don't have to have the infrastructure of 
telephone lines. Right, right. Well, it's funny because when I'm when I'm in Belize, it's easier for me to call back to the states, and when I'm in the states trying to call Belize, it's, it's they just have to dial. Yeah, they just dial one six zero five, and you, you get a hold of somebody. Oh, really? Yeah, but for me to call down there, yeah. I have to have a plan, or I have to go get an international card, and it's yes. just a lot more difficult. Yeah. Tell me the story of Brittany. Oh, um, well, my second my second trip uh, with those USF kids. She and a couple of the kids would follow us home at night. And uh, one morning I woke up. How old was she? 12, 13. And I woke up one morning and she was sleeping outside my door waiting for me to wake up. It was like 6.30. So um, I always have books on me. Every kid knows. I always have books in my backpack, which is hilarious because they'll see me. You know, every kid. First of all, I'm a big blonde woman. <laughs> on a small island of a lot of Mayans. And uh, so everybody knows who Miss Kim is. And, um, and I'm always riding a bike. And uh, so they'll see me and go, Miss Kim, are you going to, where, where are you going? You going to the grocery store? Can, can I hold your backpack? Which means they want to read books. So, and they know usually they get to keep whatever book they pick. But so Britt was, I opened up the door and she was there and um, I was going out to the beach to read. And uh, so I grabbed her. I remember Alice in Wonderland, which I think if I was ever going to write a book about it, it, it it's an Alice in Wonderland story. And, um, so we're reading on the beach and at one point I said to her, can you, can you read that? Cause what people remember is Alice in Wonderland is kind of a tough read. And, uh, she's like, oh, Miss Kim, I'm a really good reader. I'm like, really? She's oh yeah, I have to be, if I'm going to get the job I want someday. I remember this little 12 year old head. I'm like, oh, this ought to be rich. You know, <laughs> what do you want to be, Brittany? And she went on to explain this TV show that they, she watches on Sunday nights about this old man that goes around the world and helps babies get food. Well, she was just in her little 12 year old head. She thought that, um, the infomercial, like the child international fund, you know, for 30 cents a day, you can give, yeah. yeah. In her head, that was a TV show and she wanted to help this guy. Oh yeah. Yeah. And so she wanted to help him. Yeah. She wanted to like continue his mission. Yep. Yep. She wanted to help all the poor children. She lives. And she was one herself. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Where she lives is it's. It looks like they live on a garbage dump, and there's a reason for that. It's not because they don't care about where they live, but they use the garbage because they live in the lowest part of the island, and when the storms or the high tide comes in, they walk on the garbage. Yes. So, I mean, so anyway, um, so uh, I said to her, you know, Brittany, if you never miss school, because I'm not going to, I'm not, I'm going to be here for, I think, the rest of my life coming and going, and I'm going to check on you. If you get good grades and someday, maybe you could do a little bit of schooling with me in the States. And so years went by, and- I um, got to the island one when she was 15 and she found me like a heat seeking missile. And that little gallet figured out how to get herself off the island to Belize city, a bus to Belmopan. She got herself an appointment with the embassy and she was holding a visa and a passport and said, when do we go? No way. Yeah. I couldn't even curl my own hair when I was 15. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I just, yeah. And I was like, let's go. Driven. So, yeah. So um, because she was, there's no foreign exchange student, you know, like, First of all, you can't pay those rates. You know, you, a lot of the exchange students that come in are coming in from kind of wealthy families, right? So we did it on just a, it just had to be me <laughs> promising, you know, school. And But the visa is special that she could only go to certain schools that have a, a, a certain status, So which in this state was Sir Thomas More, um, um, Freeman Academy, Sioux Falls Christian, O'Gorman. Um, public schools don't have this visa thing in place. I see. So that meant money. Right. Yeah. Right. And so we had to raise some money and so on. Um, and so the idea was she was just going to be here uh, a, a, a year, which we did. Um, and then she went back and it, it just about ruined. I, I thought I ruined her. Um, she kind of fell into this kind of depression. Um, 
because nobody really wanted to talk to her about her experience. And um, she had to repeat a class. They, they made her repeat her grade, which was ridiculous. She went to a Gorman and, <laughs> you know, was, has a pretty good academic standing. Yes. And, and so now she's not graduating if she's supposed to. And she, she um, my mom and I showed up there to check on her um, when, one day, sounds weird. We were in the neighborhood of Ambrose Key, Belize, so we checked on her. But I knew something was wrong because she wasn't answering things. And um, we found that she had quit school and was selling bread on the beach with her mom. You know, this is after after this amazing, big goal driven life. Yeah, yeah. You know, she was in. She did great at O'Gorman, and she found this that she's very good in performance. So that was it. Uh, we got back to Houston. We were actually on a cruise, as, and we stopped into there. And uh, we got to Houston, and my mom just said. Go back, go get her. Kind of still makes me cry. So, um, yeah, so here I am in Houston, supposed to go back to South Dakota, and I'm checking in to go back to Belize to go get our kid. And so, yeah, so at that point, um, I went to her mom. I mean, she's got a loving family, she really does. But um, her mom just said, take her, you know. So, I'm very appreciative of her family. Um, but she did, and so she graduated from Sioux Falls Christian a year ago, and then she, um, was with Up With People. She was the first Belizean national to ever um, perform with Up With People. And this past semester, she's, since she's been back, has just been working, taking any job she can get to put money together. And uh, she's actually leaving for Belize on Friday. Um, and we're, she's going to stay down there for the first time now since five and a half, six years. So she'll yeah. be there full time for a little bit. Um, she's actually good at the theory of decodativity. Um, I found a South Dakota woman with twins who lives on the island who has taken her in as a nanny starting next week. And so she'll be able to live with them, work part-time um, as we get her, her she had a lease. She was, here's the deal. I'm not sending her away, but her visa's up and, and we got we some have, issues. We, we have got an some immigration issues. problem We, we got right some now. problems going on yeah. with our country and it's, it's, it's devastating when it, and it's, I know it's in other people's homes too, but I got to take my kid to an airport on Friday and send her home because I, I can't get her visa redone. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's, I mean, you call her your daughter. She's my daughter. She's your daughter. Yeah. yeah. And you, because of our policies, she's going to yeah. Belize. Yeah. I mean, she's, she's a daughter to people there too, but yeah. not necessarily people who can um, help her achieve the Brittany she was born to be. How does she feel about? She's okay. I think, you know, uh, Anybody that is out there that knows Belizean women, they're they're a little stoic, and um, also because of the lack of critical thinking that's taught in schools, there's a, sometimes just a, a little disconnect in identifying emotion and how you feel. So, but she's you know, so I, I when she gets mad or she's sad and she lets it go, man, I'm a yeah. happy girl. Uh, but she, she's, I think she's she's really comfortable in the fact that she's going to stay with another woman from South Dakota who's actually a professor online. So we have a lot of things in yes. common and uh, she's been nannying this, this fall or spring. So she's going to be a nanny. So things are familiar that she's going back to, even though I mean, it's very much familiar. Her family's going to be there. It's where she grew up. That's right. But uh, familiarity that she is now kind of accustomed to. But she, she expects to be back. Yeah. Well, we're looking actually, um, we're trying to be a little outside the box with her education and looking like in um, Merida, Mexico, and doing um, maybe something li- literally in between. The yes. Symbolism. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's another person I want to ask you about. There was a, I read something about a woman that you brought to Redfield. <laughs> Valerie. Yeah. Tell me. Oh, well, gosh, this, I don't know how long this podcast is, but we'll make, we'll try to make the 
quick version. It's always big. It's the beginning is this living in New York. And, um, I had one afternoon off to go do my Christmas shopping before I was to fly home for Christmas. And, um, I talked earlier about Sharon and Grant Cringan, and Sharon was also my Sunday school teacher. And she was all about every Sunday school class I ever had was about taking care of the less of those, right? And especially homelessness. Well, when you grow up in South Dakota, especially a small town, you don't really see a lot of homelessness, right? So that's a great thing to teach. But then now I'm spending a lot of my life in New York City. So I always say it kind of sucked to be me because I wasn't going to be the person who, you know, did give some guy who asked me for a muffin or a quarter, because if that's the face of Christ, I'm not going to be that guy. Right. I'm yeah. not going to be the girl who didn't give Christ the muffin. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> I'm real busy. So I have a, everywhere I go in New York, I I'm handing out dollar bills and muffins or fruit. And so anyway, I'm walking one day in front and I'm coming by on uh, 42nd and, and fifth Avenue, which is um, the New York public library. Think Ghostbusters, the big lions. Okay. Right? And, uh, it's quite a ways off, and I look over, and there is a, a, a bag. She's a bag lady, right? She's not just homeless. She's a bag lady. And um, and she, I see her over there, and so I go off my beaten path, and um, I gave her a dollar. And she said, what is this for? And I said, I don't know. You didn't ask. Merry Christmas. And she's just this big, toothless grin of hers. And so oh, thank you, and just so so sweet and so cute. And I went off to do my shopping and everything I was doing was frustrating. Like I remember going to Barnes Noble and just paying like $60 for a, a pop-up book of New York for my mother. Why? But it was like fast. And I threw my credit card down and then I walked out. And I remember trying to defi- decide what scarf my sister-in-law would like from the Pashimi scarves that were all $5. Where I should have bought like seven of them. You know what I mean? But it was like $60, no problem on there. Five dollars. You know, it was just stupid. And I couldn't quit thinking about this lady. So I found myself back down by her. And um, I walked up. She's like, oh, you're back. I said, I just feel like, what can I do? Can I buy you dinner? Do you need a blanket? Do you need clothes? I feel like, you know, what can I do for you? And she said, oh, I'd love to have a conversation. Why did you choose to, to, was it the smile that she gave you? Is that what affected yeah, I you? Just, well, I think that and just the fact she was so happy about a dollar yeah. and throwing 60 bucks in Barnes & Noble for a book. My mom will go, why? <laughs> and so you you offered to give her something of value yeah. monetarily. And she said, she just said, I just want to, I would like to talk. Well, that I can do. <laughs> and uh, actually as much as I talk, I always say people think I talk a lot, but if you spent as much time in the dark, I, I'm on directing my hundredth and the 11th show at the community. I spend a lot of time in the dark. So when I emerge, I talk, <laughs> um, but she talked and for about, I listened to her talk for about 45 minutes and it was, uh, we were into the, the, the primary, this is 2007. So we were into the primary race with Obama and, and Hillary Clinton specifically. And she had a lot to say about that. She knew a lot of what was going on in the world. And she told me the story of her life as much as, you know, where she was from. And she had written a children's book. She told me all these crazy stories. She told me she worked for the CIA and the FBI and a children's book. And she was a flight attendant for United. And she once had an office with Morgan Freeman and all these, whatever. So I listened. They were tales. They were tales. And so I, uh. I listened and I, I had to go to work and I said, you know, Valerie, it was nice to meet you, but I got to go to work. And uh, I walked about five spaces and I'm not kidding you. This is honest to God truth. Um, I called the Lutheran slap, which was what my dad used to do to us when we'd look at the choir. Like he'd always like hit the back of our head to keep looking forward. <laughs> okay. You know, now focus I, on, on, focus the on what's in front of you. Oh, okay. You know, and that's what he was like. You can't, I don't know why that is, why we can't look at the choir, but <laughs> I think it's a metaphor for something bigger. But yeah. uh, anyway, but that, so I got, I get Lutheran slaps a lot. Like where things just made me like stop for a second, turn around. And I did. 
And I, I said to her, I got to know. I said, because um, you seem lucid. <laughs> you know you know what's going on in the world. Even though while we were talking, I also didn't say this. She has so much stuff, junk and garbage that she had collected. There were mice running on her. And she no. was like, yeah, no, she picked them up like some type of you know Disney film and like put them off to the side. They were her friends. So that was going on. And so I stood there the whole time she was talking. But And I, you didn't uh, react to that? No, that was her reality. Yeah. You know, so... I just said, um, I got to know uh, if you could. And I said verbatim, if you could click your heels or wiggle your nose, where would you go? And she looked at me for a minute and thought, and she said, South Dakota. No way. <laughs> and then the first thing you do, right, is you look, I kind of like look down at myself, like, am I wearing something that yeah. says I'm from South? Because the only thing I told her was my name. Yes. Right? I didn't tell her anything about my name. So um, I'm like, well, we're in South Dakota. She said, Northern. I'm like, well, I happen to know South Dakota. Like, where northern? And she said, Watertown. I'm like, well, that's not really northern South Dakota. She said, south of Aberdeen and north of Sioux Falls, what would you call it? (laughs) True dad. True dad. (laughs) So I said, okay, here's the deal. I actually am from South Dakota. Now you have to let me help you. And... um, and that's where the story could If she had said uh, Iowa, maybe the story wouldn't have I, well, happened. Well, although I'm from South Dakota, so I still say we're in Iowa. You <laughs> yeah, know? yeah, right, true. Right. <laughs> um, see who we know. But um, yeah, so it, it became, um, I remember going back to rehearsal that night and telling my cast about what had happened. And they're like, oh my God, Kim, this stuff only happens to you. And it does in New York. I mean, but I think it's because I was, I'm real busy looking at every person that goes by and saying hi. So like I get asked directions more than anybody in the world in New York because my eyes are up, yes. you know, um, not because I look like a New Yorker, but, um, so yeah. So for the next few days, I, uh, cause I'm leaving, this was on a Monday and I'm leaving the next Monday for, for going to home, going to go home. And, uh, so I started doing some research. I check on her at night and research during the day when I was not in rehearsal for my show and, uh, called Coddington County, uh, one of my favorite moments because her real name was, uh, is Velma Bremer. And, uh, one of my favorite moments. I don't mean to get this woman in trouble, but I'm like, okay, here's the deal. I got this homeless woman, right? I need to know who she is, who she says she is, because she said she was born there. And uh, the, she said, I can't tell you that. I said, come on, right? She's, I, she's at that time, she was, um, what was she? So she was born in 1930, and that's, uh, she was uh, 67 years old, is that right? No, 77 years old, 77. She's 77 years old, you know, come on. And she's like, well, I'm not going to tell you she's not in here. <laughs> That's it. all I needed. Got it. So anyway, um, th- things happen. Uh, but, uh, and, and, and the story that from the time that I decide, once I decided I was going to take her home, um, <laughs> I remember the day I decided I was going to have to move her into my apartment. Um, I actually came to, I came to the show late. We had a show that night and I was supposed to be there and I came late. Um, the director didn't like me anyway, so it didn't matter. But the, the cast seriously and they were all sprinted to the green room afterwards because they knew they're like you took her to your apartment <laughs> didn't you they knew that's where i was I'm like yeah um and i remember kate butler who was in a league of their own um and uh, dale solis who was orange is a new black i mean these they were like kim she probably has lice you gotta so i had to pick up lice soap on the way home and that's when we knew we had a tr- we had some trouble because um i went to give her a bath and we pulled off these welly boots that she had on and her her legs look, I think it looked like what I think leprosy would look like. Her skin came off, whatever. And then I ended up having to put her in the hospital the next day because um, my niece who's a surgeon in Sioux Falls said it's either heart disease or frostbite so bad she's going to lose them. 
And she was so mad about that, which I understand. She thought she was going home to South Dakota. And next thing you know, I'm putting her in St. Vincent's. Yes. Um, so anyway, it, she, and she was so sick. You know how sick she was. She was, she was in St. Vincent's for a month. That's how sick she was. Nobody's in the hospital for a month. Um, and during that time, though, worked with agents, tried to get agencies here to work with me to get her home and social workers in New York City. And I mean, it was this global village of getting her home. And she came um, when we got her here, this whole story about how, what I she was going to do in Watertown. That didn't work out. So then she went to the St. Francis house. Um, by that time, though, she had was convinced I was part of a government plot to control her life mm-hmm. and wouldn't let me near her. Uh, which is part of what was going on, why she was homeless, sure. right? And because um, mental health is real. <laughs> and uh, so, yes, yeah, so we worked really hard and got her social security stuff back. Julie Becker from St. Francis House, I can't say enough about she, Carolee, and all of them that work so hard. And uh, so she was there for a few months as we got things together. And then Julie called me one day and said, you're not believe what she did today. Because I would check on her. I'd take college students in the New York Times, and then they would go in and act like, oh, like she was a big deal. Uh-huh. And then I'd hear her say things, well, you're a college student. You better be careful of this professor in town because she'll take over your life. You know, <laughs> it's pretty funny. But um, yeah, so what, Julie called one day and she said, you're not going to believe what she did with her social security check. I said, well, she, goes, she hired a limo and she packed all her stuff on it. She's on her way to Watertown. Uh. <laughs> so she went so she and she had known that I had a place up there for her to yeah. go and whatever. So she was in Watertown for quite a few years and then um my mom and I would go up my mom would pretend to be the welcome wagon and I had friends in Watertown that would take her things as we needed them and took care of her and then um finally one day uh, I I'll just tell this part of the story and then I'll, I'll let it get to that. But of all those things she told, the one that bothered me the most was the children's books because I love children's books and I saw it. Um, when they took her from my apartment to the to um, to the hospital that day, I saw a bound like you would do like a master's thesis. You know what I mean? Like you go to Kinko's and you get that plastic yeah. bind on it, and it was called the story of the four little friends. Well, when she was and I sent everything with her because she was so mad that I was taking her to the hospital. I didn't know if I ever see her again. But when she was dismissed from the hospital, um, nothing was left. So I think because of urine and other things, they just yes got rid of everything. And that bothered me so badly that her book was gone. So I'm driving through I-90, right, one day. And this is, again, years later. She's living in Watertown. And um, I'm thinking, just thinking, and this is the thought I get. And if you don't believe in a God, this is the thought I get because I'm not this smart. I wonder if the University of Nevada, Reno, has a printing house like the University of Nebraska Press does. That was my thought because she said she used to live in Reno, Nevada. I don't know why I have this thought, but that was the thought. And I don't know why I was thinking about it at that moment or her book, but that's the thought. So I got home, Googled it, called a, it's a copy center from University of Nebraska or Nevada, Reno, called it. This guy answers. And I said, hey, do you guys like print books like Nebraska Press does? He said, oh, no, we're just a copy center, you know, like tests and whatever. I said, oh, okay. I said, I got this homeless woman. I'm trying to figure out where she got this book bound. He goes, do you mean Valerie? <laughs> God, are you kidding me? And I said, seriously, you know, Valerie goes, I don't, but the woman who works there Tuesdays and Thursdays does. So she called me the next day and she said, yeah, she came strolling in here and had this book that she had typed up and wanted it, you know, printed and bound and tried to let me keep one. I said, so you don't have it. She said, well, you know, we're just a copy room. And she said, I said, oh, okay, well, I just am sick because it's gone and I feel responsible. She goes, oh, I'm not done. She goes, when I finally got her gone that day. I went to shut down the machines and one was jammed. And at the bottom of that machine was a whole a copy of her book. So I bound it. It's in the back, bottom drawer of my desk. You want me to send it to you? 
<laughs> Kid you not. I mean, really, you can't make that up, right? You can't make that no, up. No, you can't you, make that up. You uh, could have let that thought come and go from your brain, and you didn't. No, I know. And but so, so you know, and what was great, though, is that gave me a chance. So she sent it, and it gave me a chance to kind of uh, connect with her again personally, yes. not just on the periphery, because I showed up, because St. Vincent's, they closed, which was the triage hospital for 9-11, but they closed it down. And so I just showed up and knocked on the door and said, hey, Valerie, you know, the minute I walked, opened the door, she said, hi, Kim, how are you? And I said, good. I said, I got some good news. Uh, bad news is St. Vincent's closed down as a hospital, but the good news when they did that is they found your book. Because I thought if she thought it was part of a government plot yeah. before, this was, if she just thought I found it, <laughs> this story, I'd, I'd think I was part of it. So that became, um, that became how I got back into her daily life again. Yes. Yeah. And so then the other part of that story is this. Um, once that happens and you start doing research, um, she did work for the FBI. FBI. She did work for the CIA. Oh no, she was she a flight was attendant. The truth. Yeah, the only thing I couldn't get um, was the whole Morgan Freeman thing. Last summer, finally, I got an email from his representation after sending out noodle, oodles of stuff and said, "Mr. Freeman remembers her fondly. Please wish her well." Oh my gosh! Yeah, Isn't that great. You got to believe people. Got to believe you. They got to follow up. Yeah. <laughs> well, man, we t- we started the day off here talking about um, people telling their best stories. I yeah. think we got some really great ones out yeah. of you today. Thanks. Thanks. Well, tell me what's next for you. Uh, let's see. So this fall, I'm doing the first two shows for um, the Sioux Empire Community Theater. I'm really excited about that because. Um, when the pavilion opened up, their subscription service started a year in advance, and it started at USF. So Steve Hoffman and I, who was the executive director at the time, I was lucky enough to be able to sit across from him and talk about what does what do we want this to look like. And um, also, I was the president of the Orpheum board when the um, foyer was built, when the Annie's Able Theater, Studio Theater, when the classroom, when that was all happening. And so now that the pavilion has taken over the Orpheum Theater, I'm just pretty excited to know that I get to be the director of the yeah. first two shows that that um, are on the boards. So I'm pretty excited about that. Um, plain speaking people, if you're out there and you want me to come into your community and find your stories and put that together, that's so, There's a website? Yeah, it's plainspeakingpeople.com. Excellent. Um, and plains speaking, so there's two S's in there, um, dot .com, and you can get a hold of me that way. Uh, so that's going on. Um, probably be doing some traveling with my sister. My sister and I always pick some place to go for, whether it's a week or a month, um, to plug in and serve during the day and then explore and play at night. So um, we'll probably be doing something in October because I have a little window of time um, there. But otherwise, probably just uh, camping with my granddaughter over here at Lewis and Clark. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I'm excited to hear about the next chapters in your story. Thanks so much for having me in. Thanks for coming down. And thanks for listening to The Lanyard. We'll be back next week with somebody else's story. Cheers. Cheers.